Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. Jasmine is sick today, so I am by myself. But later in the show, you will hear my interview with Sherilyn Stevenson. Representative Stevenson is now the caucus chair, the Democratic caucus chair. Uh, She was elected to that position in the legislature earlier this year. Um, And we talked to her about that. We talked to her about serving in the legislature in leadership, what that means and how that's different from being, you know, the backbencher, as as they say. And we also talked to her about all of the elections that she's taken part in. She's been uh, elected three times to the House of Representatives, and two out of the three, she won with less than 100 votes to to spare. Uh, They changed her district substantially last time around, tried to try to take her out, but she managed to retain her seat. Uh, She but in in doing so, got a lot of new constituents. So we talked to her about all that how the change in district has affected her doing her job uh how uh you know she managed to win that campaign and all that sort of stuff we love Sherilyn stevenson she was one of our first guests so we always like to have her on so definitely stick around to listen to that the two main things i want to talk about today is first of all uh you know we took a week off and in the week uh that we took off daniel cameron picked his lieutenant governor so of course we didn't talk about that last week so we have to talk about it this week his lieutenant governor pick is robbie mills who is a state senator from henderson we're going to talk about him who he is where he's coming from what he's done in the past and kind of how what he brings to the ticket what he might be able to do for daniel cameron to to improve his chances uh you know we'll see we'll see what happens there um we'll talk about that and then also here in louisville jacqueline gwen Villaroyal is the lmpd chief she was also selected in the week that we took off so she was hired by craig greenberg and we're going to talk a little bit about what she has done in the past what she brings to the job um who she is and that kind of stuff as well and then we have a few quick hits and then we will get to the interview with Sherilyn Stevenson. All right, first up, Robbie Mills, Daniel Cameron's lieutenant governor pick. So that happened two weeks ago. Robbie Mills is a state senator from Henderson. Uh, This is the first time using the current system. It used to be that when you ran for governor, when you filed your paperwork with the secretary of state, you already had to have your lieutenant governor lined up. Uh, They changed that recently to kind of allow for, you know, if there's competition in the primary, like maybe somebody who's running and lost the primary that wants to run can jump on the ticket. That, of course, is not what happened. Uh, Robbie Mills is very much the type of lieutenant governor candidate we've seen in the past, which is like somebody who definitely isn't going to run for governor, somebody who's pretty much unknown who is willing to jump on the ticket with somebody uh, there at the beginning. So, um, you know, uh, whatever. In his introductory introductory rally, you know, Daniel Cameron called Mills a true conservative and somebody who would work with the legislature. Now, that's both of those things are absolutely true. Robbie Mills is a true conservative, and he, he is a, a, a legislative leader, somebody who knows a lot of people in the legislature and has gotten a lot of bills passed. Uh, but it did seem like the main response that everybody had when he was picked was like, who who is this? Or, you know, given that most of the people who are paying attention to Daniel Cameron are like political insiders, like, oh, what an interesting pick. I know who that is because I pay attention to this stuff all the time. You're listening to the show. You probably fall into the second camp. But in case you are one of those people who responded with who, uh, I'll tell you. Robbie Mills has been in the legislature since defeating five-term incumbent David Watkins for a House seat in 2016. So that year, back in 2016, the race for the 11th House District was among the most closely watched in the state. 
And the year ended up being a pretty significant Republican deluge. Right after Jasmine and I started the show, we kind of felt like, you know, oh, you know, Hillary Clinton's going to be elected for sure, and Democrats might hang on to the House. And, of course, Donald Trump was elected, and Republicans picked up 17 seats and took majority control for the first time in a century. So, you know, that was the first clue that you shouldn't listen to me when it comes to election stuff. The 11th district in that year was pretty close. It was a four-point race, 52 to 48 percent, or about 600 votes. Of course, David Watkins was well established, well-known in Henderson, a long-term incumbent that Robbie Mills defeated. At the time of his election to a seat in Frankfurt, you know, at that time, uh, Representative Mills was well known uh, as a Republican in Henderson. Uh, the Henderson County Republican Party had been working for a really long time to groom candidates for the, their legislative seats, which are the 11th House and the 4th Senate seat. And Robbie Mills was high on their list of potential candidates. So he, all the way back in 1993, had run for the Henderson Fiscal Court, uh, which is, that's like the county, uh, I think that, yeah, that's like the county government there uh, in Henderson. They do a fiscal court system. Uh, and he lost that race. Um, but then, you know, just a few years later in 1998, he did win a seat on the Henderson City Commission. Henderson County and City, they're in the same place. Henderson City, uh, you know, makes up a lot of that community, uh, a lot of that county. It's across the bridge from Evansville, Indiana. Um, you know, if you go on 64 uh, into Indiana and then just head straight south, you, you've been to Henderson if you've gone across the bridge there um, in Evansville. It's it's a really nice community. It's a really cool place. Um, and and Robbie Mills has been, uh, he's worked to get into both county and city government there, lost the seat in county government, and then he won a city commission seat. He then ran for Henderson mayor in 20, 2002, which was four years after he won a city commission seat, and he lost that race. He then returned to his city uh, city commission seat back in 2004. When it was up again, he won that seat, and then he stayed there until his race for house in 2016. So, you know, long, you know, a long history of public service, Obviously, somebody who wanted to get into the game. Um, this is something I talked about with Sherilyn Stevenson, but but the Henderson Republican Party, who now holds a lot of the seats in the county, the Democrats are still very competitive in Henderson, uh, but but it used to be extremely Democratic. It used to be one of the most Democratic counties in the whole state, uh, but the Republican county party there in Henderson County had worked really hard to, to get people to run. Robbie Mills was one of the people who was willing to do that work, really was a true conservative and cared about the government and ran for a lot of these seats, uh, lost some, won some, but then, you know, when the, when the dam broke and the Republicans ended up winning a bunch of seats, he was ready to go. He was a, a person who had been working really hard, learned a lot about running for office, had run for office for a lot of different things, had served in government in different capacities, and then in 2016, when he ran, he won. Uh, at the time, Robbie Mills ran with the support of the Commonwealth Policy Center. Uh, if you don't know who they are, they're a white right-wing group who does a lot of work in Kentucky. They worked really closely with the Bevin administration. They were the if if you remember this one specific scandal where Matt Bevin said that churches really ought to forego their uh, tax-exempt status and endorse people for political office, which was a bit of a a controversy when he said that. He said that to the Commonwealth Policy Center in, in one of their talks. Um, I was just on their website recently. They are now expressing some Christian nationalist sympathies. Um, they they were talking about, like, you know, what is really the problem with Christian nationalism? Is it really a big deal? Uh, really scary stuff, in my opinion. Um, that's who the Commonwealth Policy Center is, and that who is who Robbie Mills ran with the support of back in 2016. 
Robbie Mills, though, only served in the House for one term. He gave up that seat to run for the Senate. Uh, you know, of course, his House seat went to Rob Wiederstein, who is a friend of the show. Really liked Rob a lot in the term that he served in the state legislature when he won in, uh, I guess that was... I guess that was 2020 when, or 2018 when he won. Uh, he then, you know, lost in, in 2020. But he was a good dude who uh, was a Democrat from Henderson who won that seat after Robbie Mills left it. But he was elected to the Senate. He defeated Dorsey Ridley, who had served for an extremely long time in the state Senate. I think he actually went into the state Senate in the 1980s and had served there all the way up until he lost to Robbie Mills in 2018 by about 500 votes. Mills then won re-election in 2022 by a pretty comfortable margin. Dorsey Ridley went on to, I think he ran for judge executive in Henderson County, and, and he, he lost that seat also. I think he ran for that in 2022. And the legislature, Robbie Mills, has been a champion of anti-LGBTQ issues, and he's also been big on anti-union issues. He's probably best known, along with Senator Danny Carroll, of being the senator who pushed through the bills banning trans kids from competing in school sports. Um, if you remember, um, there was uh, a, you know, a trans girl at Westport Middle who talked about how this was really going to hurt her and that the rules that the uh, KHSAA had in place were absolutely sufficient for what they wanted to do. And, of course, they completely ignored that beautiful child uh, and what she had to say and you know, how she was taking care of her mental health and passed this bill that prevented her from uh, you know, playing field hockey. So that's, that's who Robbie Mills is. Um, and, you know, uh, he also uh, is the chief sponsor of the bill that presented or prevented JCTA, the Jefferson County Teachers Association, the union of JC, JCPS teachers and other people who work for JCPS, prevented them from collecting union dues through paychecks, uh, a bill that we talked about recently because it was in the court system. Uh, really, it was ridiculous because it exempted police officers and ex exempted fire uh, departments um, and really just singled out uh, teachers, uh, basically, from collecting dues through paychecks. So, um, you know, that was that was the reason why this bill hadn't passed in the past is because, you know, the police officers didn't want it and, you know, the Republicans didn't want to go against first responders, but they did want to go against teachers, so they carved them out, but of course that's got some significant constitutional issues and they passed the bill anyway. So that's who Robbie Mills is too. He doesn't like to the, the JCTA and is willing to, you know, uh, play fast and loose with the Kentucky Constitution in order to get it done. I guess that's the U.S. Constitution too. Um, and he really hates trans kids. That seems to be a, what it looks like to me I, I you know those are not words that have come out of his mouth but based on his legislative record and the things that he has spent a lot of time talking about that is the thing that he uh, does care about of course those are big issues in the campaign this year uh trans issues are something that i think republicans think they're able to make a lot of hay with i think that they really overestimate that as was shown by like kelly Kraft in the primary not not doing super well um, but that is the issue. I think Daniel Cameron thinks is going to, you know, win big for him. And so he picked Robbie Mills, who, you know, was the main person behind the, uh, the, the, the trans girls in sports, which, you know, goes against the KHSAA rules that they worked really hard to put up just to make it so that the legislature could say absolutely no, nobody, never, not even little kids that want to play field hockey. So let's talk a little bit more. Robbie Mills is one of the first Republicans to break through during the time about six years ago when Republicans finally gained their majorities in both houses. He's been a veteran of political fights long before then, and he has gotten legislation passed in the time he's been in the legislature. He's an effective person. He's an experienced politician. He, he knows how to do this job. He's also from Western Kentucky along the river. That's an area where Andy Bashir does pretty well. Andy Bashir won Henderson County in 2019 and now going against an, uh, you know, a, a, a 
you know, native son, that that could prove problematic. It'd be tough for Andy Bashir. Like I said, that's got a lot of historical uh, Democratic roots, and it does seem like a big Bashir area. But we'll see if Robbie Mills being on the ticket moves some people from Andy Bashir to Daniel Cameron. Uh, this is likely going to be a close election, so that could really matter. I think outside of that, though, I don't think Robbie Mills really moves the needle for Daniel Cameron very much. Based on what I've been watching recently, his campaign seems to lack passion. Uh, I laughed kind of recently because I saw a descriptor of one of his rallies being called intimate. Uh, that just means it's small and not a lot of people showed up. Uh, that that seems to be kind of par for the course for Daniel Cameron. He can get some insiders, some people who are definitely going to vote Republican because they always do. They will show up and 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 they will they will go to his rallies. But I think he really would have benefited by having a big splashy name like Kelly Craft or Savannah Maddox in order to get a group of people behind him. It's not like Robbie Mills is any less conservative than Kelly Craft or Savannah Maddox. I think he is just as radical as those two people. He just doesn't have anywhere near the name recognition or the passionate fan base as those two women. So, uh, you know, I think that those would have been much better choices along with just about anybody else. But, you know, Robbie Mills does bring some stuff in terms of experience, in terms of, you know, uh, an important area and, you know, really, really disliking, you know, trans kids, I guess. Uh, That's what he brings brings to the ticket. Um, You know, we will get to see Robbie Mills in action this weekend as Fancy Farm. So he will be speaking there. We will see what he's able to do there. I'm looking forward to that for sure. So that's Robbie Mills, who he is, what he's done, what he brings to the ticket. Um, you know, we, we just have a few months left in here. We have August, September, October, so just three months and a few days left in the the campaign season. Uh, so we're getting ready to start move uh, moving. So uh, we will, of course, be cl- tracking the election very closely. Um, but that is the big news that has happened over the past two weeks. Okay, switching gears a little bit, talking about Jacqueline Gwynne Villaroyal being hired as the LMPD chief. So two weeks ago, Louisville Mayor Craig Greenberg named Jacqueline Gwynne Villaroyal as the permanent chief of LMPD. She had been serving in that role in an interim capacity since the resignation of Erica Shields, who, of course, was the last chief to serve under Greg Fisher. She was brought in from Atlanta. It was a whole thing. Gwen Villaroyal is the first black woman to lead the department. She originally came to uh, in a full-time capacity. I want to make that very clear. Um, she uh, had a really eventful interim. Um, Merrick Garland, the U.S. Attorney General, delivered the results of a very troublesome investigation into LMPD. While she was the interim chief, she had to receive that and react to it in that capacity. And, uh, you know, she was also the interim chief during the old National Bank and Chickasaw Park mass shootings, had to react to those, lead the police response to those things. And she was selected during a very dramatic exit from her friend Erica Shields. I'll say somewhat dramatic. This is a somewhat dramatic exit from her friend Erica Shields. Uh, Gwen Villaroyal was brought brought to Louisville with Erica Shields, uh, one of her main partners in Atlanta. That's how she ended up here. And then, of course, Erica Shields quit um, after it was pretty clear that uh, that Craig Greenberg wasn't going to keep her around. So that's a lot of stuff to deal with. And she, I think, performed very admirably in in that capacity uh, during the time that she served in an interim. So, I mean, it made sense to me to elevate her. The mayor has named gun violence and, quote, true police reform, unquote, as the main challenges for the next chief and in all of the interviews that she's been doing since the time she has been hired. Miss Gwen Villaroyal seems to be very willing to take up those challenges. 
the selection of Chief Gwyn Villaroyal will be remembered because of the secrecy under which it took place. The media has brought up the fact that the finalists for the, for the position were never disclosed. Some have called the public comment the mayor received inadequate. Of course, when Erica Shields was hired, I don't remember any public comment at all. It just seemed like, you know, they, they, they fired the guy, Steve Conrad, previous to, to, uh, to Erica Shields, and then Greg Fisher then immediately hired uh, Erica Shields very shortly thereafter without much input from anybody. Um, that, so this isn't necessarily unusual for for the hiring of police chief in Louisville, but of course other cities across the country have had much, much more transparent uh, searches. I do think transparency is really important. I wish the mayor had conducted a more open process where we would have known about the finalists, we would have been able to do our own research into them, uh, see who we, was being looked at, etc. However, I also think that very few people actually care that much about transparency outside the media, unfortunately. Uh, it's just not an issue in all of the things I've ever watched across politics that people really care about more than just a couple of days, uh, which is unfortunate. I think people need to care more about transparency. I wish this was more transparent of a search. I just don't think it's going to matter that much in the, in the long run. I do think, though, given how all this played out, that Mayor Greenberg could have very quickly elevated Chief Gwyn Villaroyal to her new position, and a lot of headache could have been avoided. Uh, I think that that probably is what he should have done, given how this all worked out. But of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. So best of luck to, to Chief Jacqueline Gwyn Villaroyal, who is the new LMPD chief. That's a hard job. Uh, it is extremely uh, dicey. I, it's just a job I can't imagine anybody wanting. Um, it, but, you know, she did. She wanted it, and she's got it. So best of luck to her in her service in that capacity. A couple of quick hits before we get to our interview with Sherilyn Stevenson. First of all, Officer Nick Wilt, uh, who was, you know, grievously injured in the old national bank mass shooting that we mentioned just a second ago he has been discharged from the hospital which is great news um i remember when the day when all this happened some first some people at the hospital they were sure he was going to pass away uh, but he did not he he survived he is being discharged from the hospital that's great news um you know th- his his story is just extremely tragic just like so many others from that tragedy um and, and it is like one you know, silver lining to that extremely dark cloud over our city here in Louisville. Uh, next up, Senator Mitch McConnell had an episode where he appeared to lose consciousness during a press conference a few days ago. He did return after a few minutes and seemed pretty normal, but he is an 81-year-old man with an extremely stressful job, which isn't a great situation. I hope he's getting help. I hope he is getting like all the different types of help that he needs to do his job. Um, and, and so best of luck to him as he, he recovers uh, in, in, from, from whatever that was. And then lastly, Jason Glass is quitting as the Kentucky Education Commissioner. So we made that a whole segment a couple of weeks ago when it seemed like he was going to leave for a different job. He ended up staying and not getting that job, but he is leaving to take uh, the vi- Associate Vice President of Teaching and Learning at Western Michigan University. That is the job he is leaving for. He mostly has just been really egregiously attacked by republicans for basically doing his job um you know education and you know the the schools have become a huge issue for republicans especially around social issues it's really unfortunate and and jason glass is a casualty of that political that type of politicization of schools um he did a very good job in this role and it's super unfortunate that this is how it's ending but best of luck for him he's doing what's right for him and his family and and i don't blame him at all I, i i would have left a long time ago um, so best of luck to him and his 
new role. And uh, in terms of the Kentucky Education Commissioner, the first steps towards naming a successor, that's going to take place this month uh, at the next Kentucky Board of Education meeting. Uh, so hopefully they're able to find somebody who isn't like so freaked out by our Republican supermajorities that they just don't take the job. So uh, best of luck to whoever the next person is and best of luck to the Board of Education as they go about trying to find the person to fill the role, which is going to be tough. All right, that is what I wanted to talk about today. Get well soon to Jasmine and let's get to our interview with Sherilyn Stevenson. Sherilyn Stevenson is the Democratic Caucus Chair in the Kentucky House of Representatives, where she also represents District 88, which is in Lexington and Scott County. Representative Stevenson is in her third term and twice has won elections with fewer than 100 votes to spare. Back in 2022, she won re-election despite a significant change to her district, um, and this was her first session in leadership. So we asked her to come on today to talk about elections and the most recent session. So Sherilyn Stevenson, welcome back to my old Kentucky podcast. Hey, Robert. Thanks so much for having me on. Love love being here. Yeah, you were one of our first guests. I remember when you first came on, it was like back in 2018, I guess. And like you called us. So we did not think that that was going to happen. And uh, you were running for office for the first time. And we were like trying to start a podcast. And, uh, yeah, you know, look at us. Look at us now. Like <laughs> I know. Oh, it's so great. You know, my husband loves podcasts. And he had, he had listened to y'all. So he's the one that he was like, we need to get you on this podcast. So yeah. <laughs> So thanks for being gracious and entertaining me. Um, you know, at that point, you all were my very first, um, like, quote unquote, public appearance. And I was so nervous. I thought I was going to die. That's crazy. Now, now you're like, you know, one of the most important Democrats in the whole state. So there you go. Who, who, know, who knew? We knew at the time, you know. Uh, but, uh, but yeah. All right. So actually, the la- you know, you've been on the show a few times. And the last time we talked to you was right after the 2022 redistricting bill passed the legislature. Uh, and, and I guess you realized that you were going to have to run in a district that included voters who were almost entirely new to you. Uh, we were nervous for you. Uh, you seemed to maybe <laughs> a little nervous. Um, but despite all of the obstacles, you won your seat uh, in that year by 48 votes. And you know what? That's not even your closest election. Uh, you well, know- I, I won by 37 votes. My very first election in 18 was 48 votes. Oh, I flipped those around. So, okay, so it was your yeah. closest election. And so it was my closest election. And actually on election night, it was 35 votes. And because it was so close, there was a recount. And they actually found two extra votes for me. So There, there you go. There you go. So we, we did want to just talk to you about that. You know, from where we left off, like last time we talked, uh, early 2022, how you approached, you know, uh, being an incumbent, but not really because none of your voters knew who you were uh, and, and having to run in an area that was foreign to you, both in your home county there in Fayette and then also in a new place like Scott County. How, how did you how did you go about doing that and, 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 you know, securing the victory there in 2022? Well, you know, it wasn't easy. Um, it uh, it took a, a lot of painstaking time and effort to get to all those new people to try to introduce uh, me to a whole new group of people. And, uh, you know, the, the district is very rural. So, uh, you know, but we just, we decided, you know what, we're going out, we're going to talk to all these people. And I still, to this day, think that, you know, going door to door and canvassing and talking to people, meeting them where they're at and having those conversations um, are one of the most important things that you can do. It makes the voter feel valued. Um, you know, we had a lot of people, it mirrored, it's really funny, it very much mirrored 2018. Um, both times we had people say, oh my gosh, nobody ever comes out here. 
um, you know, I'll vote for you just because you did. So it, it's, you know, it's not easy. You, uh, a lot of people would, would write off those rural voters and just send a mail and all that good stuff. But I think it's really important to go out and engage those people and have conversations with them uh, on their front porch or by their barn or all those good things. Um, you know, and it, it paid off. It sure did, yeah. Uh, you know, you needed every single one of those people who said they were going to vote for you to, to come through for you. Um, and, and you know, you mentioned all of the work that you do and all of the uh, all of the doors that you knocked, and, and just like most of the the best uh, state legislators that we know, uh, you're not doing that all yourself. You know, you are having people go out and help, and and you have a lot of volunteers. And I do know that you know you are a person who's developed really strong ties to the 88th district. So you know, has it been hard to lose some of those folks that? you had as your constituents and your volunteers and how have you welcomed in new folks how how has that process gone with new a new district uh, getting new folks into the pipeline to help you out yeah well you know i was really lucky that a lot of the hardcore volunteers that i had um who came on because they were in the 88th in the first place and we developed such strong ties and friendships that they stayed on with me even though i wasn't their representative any longer um so i got really fortunate there and uh we we did pick up some some folks along the way and um made some some strong ties in in scott county and just showing up you know showing up is is a lot of this job and um listening to people 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 want somebody that shows up for them and then they want somebody that's going to listen they just want to feel like they're heard and so um you know i do that i've trained my volunteers to do that and um it pays off yeah, it, it sure does. Uh, and I mean, I, I do think that that is kind of a common denominator is like the, the people who are the most successful in this in this work are the people who can find people to help them uh, and to get get good folks out there. Uh, and, and that helps a lot because, you know, those are the same people that are out there walking right now for Andy Bashir and the rest of the, the executive branch ticket and who will be doing work for all of the, you know, the sixth district whenever we get a good competitive race there. Um, but, you know, you already mentioned this, but District 88 changed pretty substantially in terms of just its composition because it used to be like a very suburban district. It was just a lot of a lot of subdivisions, a lot of like, you know, houses with lawns and that kind of thing. And now it's it's a rural district. There's a lot of North Lexington with, a, you know, the, the, the rural horse farm area and then also up into Scott County, which, you know, it's it's kind of more like small city. I don't know if you actually you don't have much of actual Georgetown, but you have like kind of the area around it, I guess. But that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, you know, and they're shockingly there. Um, there are a lot of neighborhoods that I picked up there. So uh, a lot of that core, like you're talking about right there around Georgetown um, was very walkable for us. Um, but then there were several. Uh, I, I had 11 precincts given to me in Scott County and about half of those are very rural. So, um, you know, when you're in a neighborhood and you can in two hours knock on 40 doors and you're in the rural places and in two hours you get to 15 doors um you know it's a lot more time consuming um but again i think it's worth it you know i think people deserve to have somebody show up at their door but i think that they you know they deserve a representative that knows their house and comes to them and talks about what's important to them and then carries that information uh, back to Frankfurt because that's what we do. We yeah. are here for yeah. people. They definitely do deserve that. And, and I am kind of wondering, you know, as people from Scott County or like North, North Lexington, North Fayette, Northern Fayette County come and talk to you, you know, you are somebody who talks a lot to the people in your district. Are the issues that those people are concerned with, are they different? Are you having to deal with a different set of issues now than you, you did before? Or how have you kind of adjusted to that? 
you know, shockingly, they're not a lot different. Um, I probably get a little more like some of the rural roads people are calling me about a little bit more. Um, but, you know, by and large, people are the same. They want great public schools. They want access to affordable quality health care. They're worried about public safety. Uh, you know, I mean, and, and so really it hasn't been that much different. I was, I kind of wondered really what it was going to be like. And, you know, Georgetown is its own little uh, community. And, and so in the beginning, I was like, oh, this is really going to be different. But ultimately at the end of the day, what matters and what I have control, um, for them and what the state legislature has control for them, um, you know, over their lives is, is largely the same. Yeah, that, I think that that's true across the whole state. And, and and you do we do have talked to a lot of people who've run in small cities, and that is kind of the same thing that you hear is like most people are just dealing with the same issues everywhere, whether it's housing or healthcare or whatever it is. Yep. Well, one of the things that's kind of unique about you is, you know, you've had this crazy swing in your district where you were all of one half the county and now you're the other half. Uh, so you've kind of personally campaigned in like most of Fayette County at this point yeah. for, for yourself. Um, and, and, you know, we're looking forward to the elections in 2023. And, and, you know, as somebody who's plugged into all those different places, how are you feeling about the energy around the Democratic ticket in Lexington as, as we approach elections in the fall? Um, you know, I feel really good. I, I think people are excited. People um, know that we have a governor who very much cares about them and their families and has made some pretty unpopular political decisions based on what he thought was just doing the right thing. And I think that people know that and uh we hear that, you know, when I'm out knocking on doors, you know, and people bring up the governor. Um, I, I hear that a lot. Even when I knock on Republican doors, people are like, you know, he's done a really great job and he has done a really great job. Um, there's been a lot of hard things happen to us over the last four years. And, um, you know, and I, and I think he's done a great job and I think people appreciate that. Um, and the rest of the ticket, obviously, we're all very excited. I think folks in Lexington are super excited. Um, obviously, I have served with Buddy Wheatley and Pam Stevenson. So uh, really love seeing them in these races and are excited for what they can do for our Commonwealth. So Lexington's excited. Lexington really turned out during the last uh, constitutional office uh, election in 19. And so I'm really excited to see what we what we can do this time and hopefully do even better. Yeah, I actually did kind of want to ask you about that. So I actually, this is something uh, I read. It was in a, a, the publication Politico just a couple weeks ago um, that I thought was really interesting. And it was kind of about the swing in college towns across the whole country. Uh, and they, they targeted places, you know, like Lansing, Michigan, and, and, you know, even like Bozeman, Montana, and like all of these places, uh, Tallahassee, Florida, like places that have state universities or large universities that are a big chunk of the town. And they talked about how in those counties, um, they have been a substantial swing towards Democrats in the entire in the entire country. Um, and of course, you know, that that their eye was more towards uh, federal elections, because that's what they write about. Um, but but you know, it does kind of pay dividends all the way down the ticket. So as some Somebody, you know, who ran all the way back in 18, and you do now have a little bit of experience under your belt, having run in several years, um, three different elections. Are you feeling that? Do you feel like Lexington is swinging even harder towards towards uh, towards Democrats uh, than than a lot of the other places uh, around the state? Is that energy that something that you're feeling in, in the, the district that you're running in? Yeah, um, I, th I think it definitely is. You know, Fayette County um, and, and Lexington proper 
had the biggest swing from Clinton to Biden and the second largest in the entire country. Oh, wow. But um, is is really a big deal. And um, uh, the second largest swing in in Kentucky was Oldham County, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, and that doesn't necessarily have the college touch to it, but I do think that it's true. We're seeing it. And I think that the whole area around central Kentucky, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of those outer, that outer rim of Fayette um, is turning purple. You know, there's a lot of red right around us, but those places are turning purple. Um, so I, th- I think that we're just going to kind of see that that grow for us and think that that's, you know, it has a lot to do with it. There's a lot of people moving in from eastern and western Kentucky or they come to UK and they just don't leave. <laughs> so we're seeing that happen. And as Lexington gets more crowded and, you know, just like a lot of other places, we have an affordable housing uh situation going on so a lot of people are need to work in lexington but they live uh just outside and so we're seeing georgetown grow uh you know it it scott county has grown the largest in the last decade of any other uh county in kentucky um obviously jessamine county is is growing clark county's growing versailles is growing so you know and i think that that it's the the Lexington spread that's causing that to happen. And as that continues to happen, we're going to see those places turn, um, you know, from purple to blue. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. And, and, you know, you bring up Oldham County, which is a place that I care about a lot, and they have a really great Democratic committee, and they've run some good candidates in recent years. Uh, you know, and it's it's tough to win at this point in time just because of, you know, the inertia. But just like the Republicans had about a decade ago, I mean, even like somebody like Robbie Mills, who's in the news for being, you know, the, the lieutenant governor candidate under, under Daniel Cameron, ran for a bunch of stuff before he finally won something. And, you know, that's kind of what, how I feel like a lot of that's going to happen in places like, well, you mentioned, you, you mentioned mentioned Clark, Woodford, and, and, and Jessamine. I'll mention Oldham, Bullet, and uh, Spencer, and Harden, and all those places around us, yep. which are experiencing a lot of the same situations, for sure. Um, let's switch a little bit uh, and talk a little bit about the most recent legislative session, which, uh, for, for Jasmine and me, was, was really tough to watch. Uh, it was full of a lot of really bad bills, uh, which has been pretty typical. You know, we've been doing this a long enough time that they're all pretty much full of bad bills. But one of the things I think that made it really tough to watch was just the the way in which a lot of these bills were passed. A lot of that last second maneuvering, things changing at the last second, um, not just having the inability to even read it, but just substantial changes to bills at the last second on the floor, even after they made it out of committee and that kind of stuff, uh, which, which seemed like really, I mean, corrupt is the word I would use. Um, and, and, you know, you have a bit of experience now, like we mentioned, not just in elections, but in serving in the legislature, too. You've been there and you've been been a legislator for a long enough time. How did you feel watching all of that unfold and seeing all of that happen um, from the seat that you were sitting in? Uh, you know, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. Um, and, and things happen. And, you know, obviously, we find out about things pretty much at the same time that you do sometimes. So um, so it's hard and we have to pivot. But in the the super duper minority that we're in, you know, our job is to be the loyal opposition. And um, I'm really proud of our caucus. It was an extremely hard session. We had seven freshmen um, and they acclimated beautifully. And I I think that our caucus did a really great job of of fighting back against all of those bad bills. You know, we knew that it was probably a done deal, but, um, you know, it, it, at least we got to stand up and, and say our piece and, and let 
the half of Kentucky that we actually represent, you know, even though um, there's only 20 of us, we know that there's about half half of the state that depend on us uh, as their voice. Um, I think that we did a good job. And I think that we at least uh, called out what exactly what you're talking about, that, um, you know, there's just shenanigans going on um, at the last minute and in a lot of um switcheroos happening and legislative gymnastics, as we sometimes call it, um, in order to get these bills through. And it's just, it's really unfortunate. Um, uh, and it's hard and it's, it's, it's tough. And now being in leadership, um, you know, not being one of the people that sit back and just grumble and having to turn around and pick up our caucus and be like, you know, come on, we can do this. Um, you know, it's tough. It's tough. That kind of goes against my nature a little bit, but, um, (laughs) you know, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's tough. It's tough. But um, but I think that we did a we did a good job and we gave it our all. Uh, in, in football terms, we left it all on the field. Yeah, you know, uh, having watched this for a long enough time, you know, I'm I'm not somebody who's going to be like, I can't believe they let this happen because I know it's impossible, right? But and I think that for for what you guys could do, you did a very good job, uh, which is you know. You did better than 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 you should have with a twenty member caucus. Unfortunately, that that just that just isn't isn't very much. We got to win more elections, yeah. um, and and uh, you did mention going into leadership, and I did want to talk to you a little bit about that. I just both about how your kind of responsibilities have changed, which and, and more than just like having to be the cheerleader. That's a really good answer to that question, but but also like. You know, you have to work across the aisle quite a bit as a leader where you're having to meet with a leadership on the other side who's making who are the people oftentimes making these big decisions about how these bills are going to change at the last second. Then you've got to go up and talk to them about committee assignments and stuff like that. So so talk to us a little bit about how that's gone. How You've had to deal with, you know, compartmentalizing your emotions and talking with these people and having to actually like vote on these really bad bills. Well, I think compartmentalizing is exactly what you have to do. You know, um, we're here to to do a job, and then you're given the the extra extra job of doing that. And so sometimes it's it's hard. It's it's thank goodness, I guess I will say that my my commute from my desk to the to the speaker's nest is far enough that you know you have a moment to take a few deep breaths and be like, okay, we're going up here and we're going to be professional. Um, so it, it, it it's. It's tough, and it's um, you know the the one thing I will say is um, the speaker has a pretty decent sense of humor, and so he can be really good at trying to you know make a joke to cut the tension, and uh, and floor leader Rudy is is good at that too. So um, we we try we try, but it, and you know, and it's it's really if you hearken back to to times even when we were in charge, but there were a lot of really important things that they argued about, but you'll hear folks like Rocky Atkins and um, some of the folks that have been gone for a while, though, that will talk about, you know, you've got to do what you have to do on the floor, but when you leave, it's really important that you know people enough to ask about their family, yet ask about their kids, um, because once you get to know each other just a little bit, it becomes a little bit harder um, to do that. And I think it makes what we do here just a tiny bit easier um, to try to take, you know, your personal hat off and your legislative hat on and then your candidate hat and and all of those things. And so you just have to learn to switch gears quickly Um and I think that that's something that then goes along to protecting your emotions and your mental state as well. 
Yeah, I mean, one of the things that hasn't been mentioned in terms of you saying that, you know, they had all these freshmen, a lot of the caucuses turned over, you know, you and Representative Roberts were also new to leadership and, and, you know, um, Leader Graham, that was his first time as leader. So there has been, there's a learning curve to getting into the legislature and there's a learning curve to to leading the legislature too. So, you know, uh, hopefully you didn't get too tired of it and you're willing to do it, you know, some more. Uh, We we need that, we need experienced leaders. So uh, we're looking forward to to more of your compartmentalizing in the future. Yeah. Um, we don't want to rehash all the bad legislation. Anybody that wants to hear more and more about that, you can go and listen to old shows where we talked about all of it. But uh, we we do always, you know, want to highlight some of the good stuff that's that's coming out of the, the legislature. You know, there are bills that that everybody uh, on on our side has worked on that has seen at least some progress. So tell us about some of the bills either this year or looking forward to the next session that you you have seen worked on that you've seen passed that you think we need to highlight or that you're working on in the future that you think have a good shot in the next in the next session. Um, well, you know, this year we, it, yes, a lot of really bad things happened, but um, obviously we got medical cannabis and we got sports betting across the finish line. Um, we passed a bill to allow homeless folks to get an ID. Um, we gave some more money to Eastern and Western Kentucky um, for tornado and flood relief. Um, we had a fentanyl strip, t- testing strip bill that passed so that those are not considered drug paraphernalia anymore. So hopefully that's going to, you know, help cut down on some um, drug-related deaths. Uh, we finally gave APRNs um, prescriptive authority. Uh, we upped their prescriptive authority. Um, you know, one of the terrible bills from the previous session was that we cut unemployment down to 12 weeks. Um And there was an issue with that. And so there were some places that were contractually obligated to have 16 weeks. So we actually bumped it back up to 16 weeks, which is a positive. We got the Bowling Green Veterans Center uh, money through. We got $66 million for state parks through for much-needed upgrades. Um, Biomarker testing for cancer now has to be covered um, through health benefit plans. So, you know, a lot of really good things happened. Um, Just this morning in banking and insurance, we talked about an all-payer claims database, which is a bill that I've been filing for a couple years now. Um, Senator Alvarado was working on it before he left and went to Tennessee. Um, And so we had a really good discussion about that today in banking and insurance. So that's something that I'm really looking forward to next session and I think would be just a really great thing for Kentuckians if if we can shop for, uh, you know, our, our medical services just a little bit more or we get some more transparency in the process and the pricing of what's going on. I think that's really good. Um, I have a bill also to expand FMLA a little bit and who is eligible for FMLA um, that I really want to try to push. Um, and that it, that was brought to me by a constituent who um, has never been married and her parents are both um, deceased and her sister is her primary caretaker. And um, so my constituent was born with spina bifida and has just I mean, like countless surgeries and now is an adult in her fifties and still has a lot of healthcare issues, but her sister can't claim FMLA. Um, so, you know, and I, and I know that they're not the only people out there like that. So there's just a lot of that, you know, I really had a, a huge public school and, um, healthcare mindset when I came in, those were, were the issues that were most important to me. And, um, you know, they're the issues that t- are really most important to um, to our constituents. And I think that as we go out and we talk to people, 
Kentuckians have some real problems. You know, um, there was just a nine hour long waiting line to get food in Hazel Green. Um, there are people in Eastern Kentucky that are still living in what should have been very, very temporary housing. So Kentuckians have some big problems and we have the ability to solve a lot of those and to, to, to help those people. Um, but unfortunately, the GOP right now is, you know, they're focusing on made up problems when Kentuckians have real problems. So I am hopeful that we can talk about that more, push that more in the 60 day session that's coming up. Obviously it's a budget year. So my fingers are crossed that, uh, we can do some really good things there. Absolutely. You know, uh, we, we talk to everybody, uh, we try to talk to as many people as we can, um, who are in the legislature and, and you're the one of the ones who are always talking to about learning things from your constituents and turning that into legislation. So, uh, something that's been pretty consistent with you since the start of your service. So I'm not surprised to hear that you got another thing working with that FMLA bill. I could talk about all payer claim databases for, for a long time and the benefit of them. Uh, so anytime you want to talk about that, I, I can, you know, helps negotiation, lowers prices overall because everybody else who's who's paying what and all that kind of stuff so uh you know lowering the price of health care really important issue for sure that can really come out of that anybody who is otherwise um is not being genuine anyone who's saying otherwise is trying to negotiate a higher price for their hospital is what they're trying to do yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh all right i'll say it even though you can't right so uh okay um la- last thing you know you are in an extremely competitive district you know how that goes and so you're always com- campaigning i know but you're also always serving you're always talking to people you're always working on issues um so you know you have a lot of constituents we have a lot of listeners in your in your area if people want to get connected with you uh to help you out in your campaign or in your service in, in, in Frankfurt to, to, you know, advocate on any of these issues or get in touch with about an issue that they think you might be able to help them on, how can they get a hold of you? Well, uh, my phone number is out there for just about everybody. Uh, we listed on our, uh, on my campaign lit that we hand out. So I give out my phone number. My phone number is 859-806-3620. Text me. That's a really great way to get in touch with me. Um, follow me on social media. I'm Sherilyn, F-O-R-K-Y, on uh, Twitter or X or whatever it's <laughs> named. Um, Facebook and IG. And um, obviously, my website is SherilynStevenson.com. There's a button on there on how to volunteer. But I am having uh, my very first kickoff fundraiser at Pivot Brewing on Monday the 7th from 5 to 7. Um, you know, come by. You don't have to give. <laughs> there's, there's no minimum. Um so come by, meet me, um, you know, let's talk about uh, what you're interested in and uh, any way that you might be willing to help. They just opened a satellite uh, office or a satellite brewery by my house. So maybe we'll do a satellite fundraiser. We yes. <laughs> Great. It's right by the Cat Cafe, right? Yes, it is. That's right. Yes. That's that's my, my house. Yeah, absolutely. Folks in Louisville had a fundraiser for me at the Cat Cafe because, you know, I'm like crazy cat lady, um, cat mom. So um, that was really great. But that would be awesome. Um, I, I love Pivot. They're, they're, they've been really good to me and they have a tremendous product. So everybody go support Pivot Brick. All right. Very cool. All right. Well, Sherilyn Stevenson, thank you so much for coming on, talking to us about all this stuff. We really appreciate you being on with us. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much, Robert. It's always a pleasure. 
All right, that's our show for this week. If you want to find us, you can find us on Facebook, and I'm going to still call it Twitter. I know it's X, but I'm going to call it Twitter. We're at my old KY Pod. We have a newsletter. Uh, given kind of the state of social media, we may bring that back in a bigger way, may change platforms and make it a bigger piece of our kind of you know footprint. But right now, you can sign up for it at tinyletter.com slash myoldkynewsletter. Um, you can find us on Patreon. Please support us if you're able. Uh, you know, this is a tough job. We do a lot of work. Uh, if you like it, throw us a couple bucks a month uh, or, you know, just one, just $1 a month. That would be great. Patreon.com slash podcast. And, you know, download the show at the podcasting app of your choice. Sounds like something you're already doing. So thank you for listening, everybody. We will see you next week.